0: Hello and welcome to the Paperclip podcast. I'm Meher Sharma of the Observer Research Foundation and in this podcast we are going to take a look together at the stories that matter to India and the world. Hello and welcome to the new Paperclip podcast with me, Meher Sharma of the Observer Research Foundation. On Paperclip, we look at the stories that matter to India and the world together but not the way that the headlines in your morning paper have played them. Instead, we explain what really lies behind them. And in this episode of Paperclip, we're finally going to take a direct look at the pandemic that has so disrupted all our lives and turned 2020 into a year to forget. Since we first learned of how dangerous the pandemic was and how restrictive the measures to control it would have to be, many of us have been telling ourselves that we just have to hold out for a while. When a vaccine gets here, things will all go back to normal. We will again be able to go out, take flights, shake hands, go to a concert without feeling worried or guilty. Sadly, that may not be true. And the reason is that we have got our timelines a bit off. Yes, we are privileged in this uh, vaccine development uh, effort to glimpse something special, something along the lines of the space race, perhaps, an effort that will go down into the history books as the best of human endeavour. Scientists, doctors and researchers, companies and labs, both public and private, in literally dozens of countries across the world, are working around the clock to set new records for vaccine development and for its testing. And we're seeing something of how awesome the entire globe's innovative and research facilities can be when such a large proportion of it is directed towards a single goal. Vaccine can take years, even decades, to develop and test and bring to market, but on this occasion. COVID 19 vaccines may reach the threshold for regulatory approval less than a year after China made the genome sequence of the coronavirus available. And a lot of us have been pinning our hopes on that. Sometime before New Year's Day, we think a vaccine will be approved, and then we'll all get it and go straight out and celebrate, won't we? Celebrate the end of 2020. It won't work like that because, unfortunately, Getting vaccines to people is not just a job for scientists and researchers. It is a governance task, a logistics task, and an administrative task. And the human race is, sadly, as bad at governance as it is good at research. Once we have a working vaccine, or as is likely more than one, each with its own strengths, targets, and weaknesses, we will be faced with the question of how to distribute it. And sadly, that question is one to which we do not yet have a satisfactory answer. Indeed, some of us may worry that the question is not even being asked with sufficient seriousness yet. In a widely read piece in the Financial Times newspaper recently, the head of the Serum Institute of India, Adil Punawala, whose company is perhaps the only one that is already making the sort of investments at scale that will be needed to protect hundreds of millions of people with a vaccine, Poonawala has poured cold water over all our hopes that 2020's problems will end when 2020 does. He said, in fact, that as things stand, the world will not be properly inoculated against COVID-19 till the end of 2024. I know, that's not what any of us want to hear. But it's the truth. Governments and health systems that are stretched beyond measure dealing with economic relief, virus control, and therapeutic care for COVID patients – do not seem to be willing to put in the work to plan for the manufacture and distribution of hundreds of millions of vaccine shots just yet. India's own health ministry, for example, has insisted that things are in hand because it has set up a high-level committee to study the issue of virus distribution. Frankly, nothing is less likely to inspire confidence among those who study the Indian state than the phrase, high-level committee. Sunawala, for one, is fairly clear on what he thinks about the state of preparation. He told the Financial Times that, within quotes, I still don't see a proper plan on paper for national distribution in India beyond 400 million doses. And then he added that you don't want a situation with a vaccine where you have capacity for your country, but you can't consume it. In other words, he's saying that maybe he can produce vaccines for most of the people in India but he knows for a fact that the government is not ready to deliver it to more than a third of the country. And that is in India, with a generics industry that is the medicine factory for the emerging world. Other parts of the developing world are even less prepared if they have neither the manufacturing capacity to spare to roll out millions of vaccine doses, nor the large companies with solid balance sheets that could borrow enough to set up such manufacturing facilities at short notice the way that Poonawalla's Serum Institute has. And we're not even getting into the question of how much they would have to pay these countries for the right to the vaccine. Whether it would come free or be free only for a defined time, that's a whole other set of problems. But this problem, the one that Punawala identifies even in a country like India, is that getting the vaccine to two-thirds of the country has not been planned for as yet. And it will be a challenge. This is not like a pill that everyone in the country just needs to pick up from a pharmacy or from somewhere and take It's a lot more complicated, and we know this because India's child immunization program has been fiendishly complicated to manage, although it's had some success in recent decades. Poonamala has promised 500 million doses of the vaccine to the Indian government, but what he is warning us is that the Indian government does not yet have a way to get them to the people that need it. And again, India is better off than many other parts of the world because that infant immunization program, at least endowed this country with distribution capacity that could be repurposed to deal with the pandemic. To start off with, you can't exactly send a vaccine across the country, or this vaccine across the country, bundled in Amazon cartons or something. Transporting most of the planned vaccines won't be anywhere near that easy. Some of the most promising vaccine candidates, in fact those that have gotten the most publicity, partly because they are from the West, And for that same reason, they might be more desirable to the Indian government than a Chinese or Russian candidate. The most promising vaccine candidates use new technology called messenger RNA. We'll go into the details of these developments in a later edition of Paperclip alongside the geopolitical implications of who develops the vaccine and where. But for now, what we need to know is that these likely vaccines have to be stored and transported in freezing temperatures, not just in regular refrigerated vans but in mobile freezers. And in some cases, they need to be stored at temperatures as terrifyingly cold as minus 70 or 80 degrees Celsius, or they will lose efficacy. They simply won't work. Now imagine, minus 70 or 80 degrees, or they won't work. So I want you to imagine the task of trying to get packets of vaccine doses, perhaps more than one per person, a defined time apart, to every Indian from the deserts of Rajasthan to the hills of Arunachal Pradesh at that unnatural temperature of minus 70 or 80 degrees. Where is the infrastructure going to come from? Not all vaccines need to be at minus 70 or 80 degrees. Most need to be refrigerated and almost all need to be frozen for a while. It won't be cheap. The infrastructure won't be cheap. We will need refrigerated freezer trucks for transport. Once the load of vaccine reaches a primary healthcare centre, for example, then we will need everyone who reports to that PHC to turn up within 24 hours to get their vaccine, to get their shot, or all the shots will go bad. They'll spoil, they'll be useless. The PHC, meanwhile, will need to store the vaccine in a refrigerator. That could cost almost a lakh of rupees in some cases. In fact, the poorer areas of India, with the least reliable electricity supply, we'll either need to provide a diesel genset dedicated to running the fridge or buy a solar-powered freezer, which is even more expensive, lakhs and lakhs The lack of a vaccine infrastructure across the developing world is not just the developing world's problem. It is everybody's problem, including in the rich parts of the world. Making sure the infrastructure investment needed for vaccine delivery actually gets made is in everyone's interest, wherever they may live and however rich and privileged they are. Even if you live in a city in the developing world and feel that it doesn't matter if the hinterland doesn't get vaccinated as long as I am, recognize this doesn't work in a pandemic, and not just for humanitarian reasons. Think about that word for a moment. Think about the word pandemic. It comes from the Greek pan, or everything, plus demos, or people. Pandemic literally means all the people because you need to try and control it for all the people everywhere at once if you want to return to something that at least approaches normalcy. The cost will be that, otherwise, the virus will hang around in reservoirs and places which have not been vaccinated sufficiently. Those parts of the world where the vaccine penetration is sufficient will try to close off entry and exit from the sections of the world where it has not. Perhaps that works at an international level. Though Indians may have to recognise, if we are the last country to immunise all our citizens, that we will also be the last country allowed to return to normalcy in terms of international travel. Cutting unvaccinated areas off will definitely not work within countries, after all. And worse, the longer the virus is allowed to thrive in unvaccinated populations, the greater the danger it will suffer a truly dangerous mutation and return to plague us, turn us You know, the last great pandemic, the Spanish flu in 1918, did precisely that. It mutated between the spring and winter of 1918, and the second form of the virus was far more deadly than the first. In other words, we have to start thinking right now across the world about vaccine delivery. And it will be a task comparable to the development of the vaccine itself, which, I said, has shown humanity at its most innovative. In a Bloomberg column, I wrote that India has a crucial role to play in this effort, Its government could collaborate with private investors and multilateral agencies like the World Bank to develop and install dual-use cold-chain infrastructure. Dual-use, meaning two uses, so it won't in fact go to waste after the pandemic is done. A nationwide network of refrigeration, of storage and transport at sub-zero temperatures is the answer to farmers' prayers. Yes, it matters for agriculture. And India's National Centre for Cold Chain Development has been relentlessly pointing this Out for years, they say that such a cold chain could help both the medical supply industry and farmers, and it would let farmers access market for their produce, reduce wastage, ensure consumers don't pay too much for vegetables, control inflation, so on and so forth. More importantly, for the world, a solution that works in India could work anywhere. It could be scaled up across the developing world, but unless developing country governments get on the phone to a dozen Adil Punawallas and start talking about fridges. This will not happen. So let's start asking that question of our own governments, shall we? What's your plan? This has been Paperclip and I'm Mihir Sharma. Thanks for listening.